A few years back, uh, before we moved here, our family lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And um, one of the things that we didn't get to do a whole lot of, my wife Kara and I, was to go on a date. And if you have kids and you live in a place where you don't have family, sometimes that can be difficult, especially if finances are a little bit tight. Well, we finally got to this point where we had a little bit of money and uh, we decided to go out for something simple like dinner. We had a babysitter in place. There was a restaurant that people had been telling us about. We thought, hey, we're going to go check this restaurant out. It sounds great. They've got great reviews. The food seems like it's going to be good. And so we said, let's just go. Well, we actually got a, a Groupon coupon to go also. So we figured we're saving some money here. We're going to pay a babysitter like $100 to watch our kids for an hour. I mean, babysitting is pretty expensive these days. I think we can eat. We get to the restaurant. We walk in. We, we go to the little front desk. We say, hey, you know, we're here. Uh, Simpkins, family of two. We'd like to get a seat. And the lady said, hey, it's going to be about 45-minute wait because we're pretty busy tonight. However, we've got some seating outside on the patio. If you want to go on the patio and sit, we'd love to sit you right now. We thought, great, we'll do that. We're hanging out. It's a beautiful evening here in North Carolina. It's a nice warm day. We'll just sit out there and enjoy our time. We grabbed our seats. We sat down and we waited. And we waited. We waited. About 15 minutes later, the waiter comes up and is like, hey, <laughs> Uh, can I uh, get you guys your drinks? You know, we're sorry, we're really busy tonight, but, uh, but just apologize for what's happening, but I'd love to go ahead and get your drinks for you. And we said, sure, that sounds great, but we'd actually like to go ahead and order if we could because we're pretty hungry. And so we ordered our drinks, we ordered our food. Now, my wife, Kara, when we go out to eat, she usually gets a salad, and if that's what she ordered that night, she got a salad. Now, they were having a special that evening. It was all-you-could-eat gnocchi, or as most of us call it, gnocchi, Right? And so I said, that's what I'd love to try. I've never really had it before. We're on a date. Let's just go and be adventurous and see what we get. And so he said, sure, not a problem. I'll bring that in just a little bit. We waited and waited and waited. And finally, about 20 minutes later, they brought our food. Well, my wife's food comes in this big old plate, and it's full of salad and all kinds of good stuff. My plate of gnocchi, or gnocchi, however you want to call it, it was a saucer about this big, and there were eight pieces on that saucer. Now, if you know anything about that kind of pasta, it's not this big. It's about, eh, it's really small, right? I kind of looked at that, looked at the waiter, and he said, hey, just tell me when you want some more, and I'll bring it back. It's <laughs> like, all right. My wife starts to eat. I'm done in like 30 seconds, or actually, I'm done in about three-tenths of a second. I ate it all, and I'm, I'm ready for some more. We waited and waited and waited. And he never came back. We, we sat there for about an hour and 45 minutes that evening. My wife ate a nice salad. I ate eight pieces of gnocchi. And that was it. <laughs> As you can imagine, when we left that place, we weren't real happy. Right? And in fact, our friends are like, hey, how was your date night? Did you enjoy that restaurant? We said, no, it was terrible. We had a horrible experience. And we will never go back there again. Bad experiences, they taint our view, don't they? They taint our view of restaurants. They taint our view of hotels and airlines and stores. But do you understand they also taint our view of how we see the church? Today we continue our series called I Was Burned By. And today we're looking at the church. That I was burned by the church. Last week I shared some statistics with you. I said that 92% of people say that at one point in time here in America they were heavily involved within their church which meant they, they went to church for at least three hours every single week for a minimum of six months. Many of us in here can say, yep, that was me. That was me growing up. 
But here's what we find is people tend to get older, they tend to leave the church. In fact, 3,500 people leave the church every single day. And if you take that a little bit further, what we find is a little over 20% of the people who live in America actually attend church on a regular basis. That's not even every single week. I think that number is more like two to three times a month. This is what the church has become. I wonder why that happens. Could it be that people feel burned by the church? And so that's a question we have to ask. Why are people leaving the church? Why are people saying they don't want to attend church regularly? I've got a few ideas here, a few reasons, I think. One's irrelevance. People think about the church and they look at it and say, here's where culture is, here's where the church is. Culture is in 2018, the church is back in the 5th century. And so if culture and the church aren't in the same place, well, that's irrelevant to me. I don't want anything to do with the church. And so there's irrelevance that plays a part in this. But there's also the misuse of power. One of the interesting uh, responses I get sometimes, people are critics of religious history, which I understand, but again, this is in the past. They'll talk about the church's impact during the Inquisition or the Crusades or even slavery. Terrible moments in our history, but, but again, that's the past. But there's that misuse of power, and people will look at that and say, but look what the church did. I don't want anything to do with that. Or we find pastor manipulation. The pastor took advantage of me. The pastor, pastor brainwashed me. And so again, there's this misuse of power. Why would I want to be a part of something like that? Not only do we find that, but sadly, um, in our culture today, and we're hearing more and more of this, about priests, pastors, teachers, people within the church who have taken someone's innocence. And they've said, hey, I, I don't want anything to do with the church. And man, I, I, I get that. I understand it. These are reasons why people are leaving the church or why they feel burned. But then lastly, they feel judged. Church is supposed to be a place of grace and then you show up and, and it's like, wow, you can't forgive me or you're judging me on my past or even my present. I mean, I'm trying to work through this. Well, I don't, I don't care. You know, this is who you need to be. And so people leave the church or, or they feel like the topic on that particular Sunday, like somebody called you, didn't they? Because that was like my life story. You just, who told you that I was coming today? It's like, we really didn't know. I know you did. And so, again, you feel judged and you leave. I mean, we could keep adding to this list. There are so many reasons why people feel burned by the church. There are so many reasons why people feel like, like the church has let them down and, and why they leave. 3,500 people leave the church daily. And just a little bit over 20% attend church regularly. That begs the question, is the church dead? If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to spend a couple of minutes there this morning. Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats there in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those and take it. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible at home, you know somebody who wants one or needs one, feel free to take that. That is free for you. We'll put it up here on the screen. You can follow along on your Journey Church app and take notes there, or also take notes on your program this morning. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now this is sort of an interesting question that Jesus would ask, specifically in this place. This seems like a question he would ask in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a pretty important place for the religious people, for the, the Israelites, for the Jews. It's also a pretty important place for Jesus. I mean, he spends quite a bit of time there. But he asked this question in this place called Caesarea Philippi. Why? Well, this is actually a pretty important worship site for many different religions. 
Uh, we find that there there was a temple to the, the Greek god Pan, the god of nature. There was also a temple there for the god Zeus. Even Herod the Great had erected a temple there for Caesar Augustus. And so you would go to this place and there were all these different religious signs and symbols and faith backgrounds and worship sites for all these different groups. I imagine Jesus is walking with his guys and he's like looking around and sees all these different places and he's kind of pointing them out as he's walking. And so this question makes perfect sense. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Here's what they said in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus asked this question, and they start giving him some feedback, right? They're like, hey, they say this, and they say this person, and this person, that prophet. But Jesus looks at them and is like, well, hold up. That's what those people say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter asks, or Peter says, you are the Messiah. He says, you are the son of the living God. His response is, your kingdom, Jesus, is superior to all of these other people and all of these other gods that are here in this place. It's superior to the Greek gods and the Roman gods and, and to even the prophets that are so important to us in the Old Testament. You're more important than them. You're superior to that. And in fact, and in fact, you're the son of the living God. It's a key word there. He says, you exist. You are alive. God exists. God is alive. It's not, not like it is here in this place. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, Son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus looks at Simon, he's like, hey, thank you, you're right. And he says, in fact, I'm going to change your name. Your name now is going to be Peter, that means the rock. And so Peter was the rock before Dwayne Johnson was the rock. It's pretty cool, right? But, but if you think about what Jesus says in, in these words, he's really saying this is the foundation of the church. The church is beginning right here in this place. And notice he declares this in a very religious spot. But look at the words that Jesus says again. Back there in verse 18, he says, I will build my church. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, you're going to build my church. Hey, hey, disciples, you're going to build my church. Hey, we're going to build this church together. Hey, he doesn't say, hey, that denomination is going to build the church, or that God's going to build the church, or that non-denominational denomination, they're going to build the church. He doesn't say that, does he? No, he says, I will build my church. And so all the responsibility for growth and expansion of the church is on Jesus. It wasn't on Peter. It wasn't on those disciples. It's not on us today. It's on Jesus. But notice how he continues. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Again, interesting words Jesus used. Caesarea Philippi was also known to be sort of the gateway to the underworld. Um, this place called the Gate of Hades was actually there in this location. And what it really was, it was this cavern. It was a very deep cavern, and, and in this cavern there was a spring, and the spring was actually what began the Jordan River. And so if you would go close to the opening of this particular cavern, you would hear, hear all these strange noises, and it kind of sounded bad, and so it sounded like the underworld. And so Jesus is making a point right here in this moment 
that the gates of Hades, this, this place that you guys, that people have said, this is, this is the moment, this is where we are, this is what, what you think life should be like, this, this terrible, horrible place right here is different than you think. Because when we read those words, I think we misinterpret it. See, we think it's alluding to hell, don't we? We think it's alluding to hell invading heaven. But I don't think that's the case at all. If you actually look at those words, he says the gates of Hades. What do gates do? Gates are part of a fence, right? They're part of a boundary. Gates hold things in. There's a specific space that is there. And so if there's a specific space, it means hell or Hades or evil. It's, it's kind of stuck. And yet we go through life as Christians and we think our job is to play defense all the time. We're supposed to play defense. No, Jesus is saying, no, we're not playing defense here. We're playing offense. That, that hell's not going to invade heaven. That we will overcome hell. That the job of the church is to invade hell to rescue humanity. We're not going to play defense. We're going to play offense. And when I read those words right here in verse 18 that Jesus says to Peter and to those followers, here's the promise I think we see. The promise from Jesus is the church will not die. And then for us, the church is not dead. But if that's the case, if the church will not die and the church is not dead, how have we messed it up? Well, I want to share with you these three words because these words are kind of an um, important part to this whole church thing. And in fact, if we, we think about these three words, there's a typical path that we have that we all tend to follow when it comes to the church. And in fact, I want to put the first one up here. Church. If you look at that, this is usually a starting point for most of us when we go down this typical path of trying to find a place that we connect with. But here's what we've done with the church. We've actually taken the church and we've set it up on a pedestal. And what we've said is the church is the most important thing there is. So here's what happens. When the church lets us down, guess what happens with Jesus? Well, Jesus lets us down then because Jesus is part of the church, right? And that's all because we've put the church on a pedestal. But see, for most people, the church is the most important thing. So we've got that sort of the, the beginning point of this, this path that we take. But then we go to this next thing, the mission. We've got the church, and then the church has a mission. Uh, my guess is that most of you, if you have been here or you're brand new, within the last, I don't know, 8 to 10 years, more than likely the reason that you ended up here at the journey is you went online, you went on Google, and you said, find me a church locally to Springfield and, and, and Alexandria, Right? And so you went on there, and all this big list of names of churches began to pop up. And there's like First Baptist and First Presbyterian and First Methodist. And you're looking for Second Baptist or Third Baptist if it's out there. There are some Third Baptists out there. But anyway, so you're looking for all these churches, and you're like, I don't really like those names. So what are some cool names? So you start looking around, and you see some. You're like, oh, Journey sounds pretty neat. Let me check it out. Here's the path you usually take when you go on the website. You go to the homepage. You're like, oh, great, some things are moving. That, that makes sense. That's, you know, up to date. That's cool. There's some good wording on here. That, that fits for me. And, and then usually the next site you go to, or the next page, is about us. And so you go to about us, and you look at that, and you're like, okay, this is giving me a little bit more detail about what this church is about. Okay, I agree with that. I like that. That sounds good. Usually the third page you go to is a staff page. If you are part of any church, you can go to their Google Analytics. You're going to find that's usually about the third page you go to. And you go on that page and you look to see, do I connect with these people? Are they normal? And you still showed up, so I don't know. Thank you. But you go to the staff page and you check things out. And then usually the fourth page you go to is a sermon page. 
Because you want to hear sort of the sermons and what's happening. And thank you for coming because you've listened to some of my sermons online for those of you who are new. But you go there and you listen. Do I connect with the sermons? And then you kind of keep going down. You look at the calendar. You look at kids' stuff if you've got kids. And, and then probably towards the end, I'll check out the belief page real quick. Here's what we do when it comes to this, this path here. We have the church on this pedestal. And then we want to make sure that we connect and accept the mission. But here's how this works out for us. It's not necessarily the mission of the church that's important to us. It's my mission. When I think about the church, is it, does their mission connect with my mission? Is it my methodology? Does it connect? My theology, does it connect? My, my beliefs, my understanding of what I think the church should look like, specifically on a Sunday morning, do all these things connect with my mission? And if it does, then we're like, okay, I'll try this church out. And so we show up, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, we get back online, we Google some more churches. But then here's what happens. We have the church, and if we accept the mission, which is actually really our mission, here's the outflow of that, Jesus. So we show up and say the church is the most important thing, and then there's my mission that's a part of that. Well, next, what we have coming out of that is, man, I hope I show up in here and learn a little bit about Jesus. In this path, Jesus, in some ways, is just an afterthought. And so when this is the path that we take when it comes to church, how easy is it for us to get burned by the church? Well, it's pretty easy because we've said the church is the most important thing. And I'm going to tell you here in a little bit what the problem is with the church and why, why we've got to change that. But this is usually the path we take. And when these things don't align for us, we leave or we feel burned by the church. I think our path is wrong. Alan Hirsch is an author and Christian strategist. He said, and he uses some big words here, and I'll explain in a second. He says, our Christiology informs our missiology, which in turn determines our ecclesiology. Now, let me show you how that plays out. This is the way it should be for us. First on our list should be Jesus. And that should be our beginning point every single time. That Jesus is central to us. That Jesus is most important to us. That's the thing that should be on a pedestal, not the church. And yet we've got that confused. But this should be our starting point every single time. How am I connecting with Jesus? Which then leads us to the next part, the mission. Our role is to figure out the mission of Jesus and how you and I can be involved with that. But do you know what flows out of these two things? The church. The church is the outpouring of us making Jesus central to our life. It's the outpouring of living out the Jesus mission. So in the end, the church is, is really secondary, tertiary to these other two places. We have to make sure that our focus is, the, is Jesus. That has got to be our beginning point, which leads us into living out the mission of Jesus, which leads us to the church. When people get burned by the church, the church has become an institution more than a living, breathing movement of people focused on Jesus, living out his mission as the church. And when we don't see that happening, we can feel burned by the church. But here's what's important for you to understand. If you felt burned by the church, if you're struggling with the church, if you've put the church on a really high pedestal, here's the deal. Ready? The church is full of messy people. Right? 
It's full of messy, imperfect people. You know what? I'm messy, and I'm imperfect, and so are you. And yet we, we sort of have this idea that when we come into the church that, that the people and the church is perfect. That, that the people of the church are perfect. And so we expect perfection when we walk into this place. Jesus never promised perfection in the church. He didn't say, I will build my church and it will be perfect, did he? No. He didn't say, I will build my church and the people in the church, they're going to be perfect. No. He didn't say they're going to be in shape and they're, they're going to be beautiful and they're never going to argue and they're never going to gossip and they're never going to be angry. There's nowhere that it says that. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church, which means that there will be full of imperfect people. Jonathan Stormont is a pastor, and he put this on Twitter a while back. He said, churches are filled with mean, hypocritical, judgmental, conservative, liberal, unkind people. And that's just this side of the room. I'm talking about you guys. Here's what I think happens. I think we show up at church and we expect perfection. If we walk in, here's what we see. These people are just like me. And so we walk out because I don't want to be around people that are just like me. But you know what? We're all messy and we're all imperfect. But understand, we are a messy, imperfect group of people who are trying to take our next steps towards Jesus. And we're a messy, imperfect group of people that are trying to help others take their next steps towards Jesus. But we have to understand from the very beginning that we are messy and imperfect. And because the church is messy, it's never going to be beautiful like you think it should be. But that's why it's important that we go back to what we were just talking about. That Jesus is our focus. That we live out that mission And that from that outflows the church. Here's what I will tell you about the journey. Here at the journey, Jesus is central. Jesus is central to everything that we do here. Uh, It's interesting, over the past few series that we've been in, we keep hitting um, these same words from Jesus where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, that really is who we are. That is what we focus on. That That is why we exist. It's why on July 21st, 1974, over here at Forestdale Elementary School, a core group of people got together and said, hey, we need to start a church here in Springfield. And knowing some of those people, I know that it was because Jesus is central to who they are. And it's still true to us today that Jesus is central. Now, the interesting part is the name of the church was Central Christian at the church. Now, I don't think there's any connection there, but we'll just say it was, all right? Jesus is central to who we are. Which means if Jesus is central to who we are as a church, here's the promise I'm going to make for you. You will be changed. I honestly believe that. That if you are part of this church, you will be changed. You will be transformed. Our family's been here for almost two years now. And in that time period, I've seen marriages that have been mended, relationships repaired, finances fixed, souls saved, gold uh, Um, grace given any kind of words that you can put together with the same letter start now you make that up for yourself but but i've seen that and i've experienced that in my own life and you have too and i believe it's not because we have a great staff or we have great leaders we have great volunteers or we have people that give really well i don't i don't think it's that at all i think it's because jesus is central to who we are and i can promise you that jesus will always be central to us here at the journey 
And since Jesus is central, that means we are going to take on the Jesus mission. We are going to be focused on that mission. I can promise you that in staff meetings during the week, we don't sit around and say, man, I hope we get some really good feedback from Sunday morning this week. I hope people leave and they're like, man, that music was great. Man, those, those kids' programs, they were incredible. That, that snack this morning, man, it, it, was, it was amazing. That stuff was on point today. That guy gets up, speaks. He's okay. I mean, I've heard better in many other places, but I, I know some people there, so I'm going to stick around. Anyway, that's not what our hope and desire is. And if, if, if you leave on a Sunday and that's all you get, then we have failed. That's not living out the mission of Jesus. Living out the mission of Jesus isn't about Sunday mornings only. It's, it's not about just being a part of a small group or just giving or praying. It's, it's so much bigger than that in our lives because we have work to do. If we say Jesus is central to us and important to us, then that means we're living out the Jesus mission, which means we have work to do. What is that work and what is that mission? I think Jesus puts it well in Luke 19.10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why we exist. That is why we are here in this place, which means if we accept that mission, our role is to help people take next steps towards Jesus. And for some of us in here, that means that we're helping you take your, your first steps towards Jesus. And if you've ever experienced that before, man, that is amazing to watch and be a part of. And for others in here, we're, we're helping you take your second steps towards Jesus. And still for others, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. We're helping you as you help us take our next steps towards Jesus. We're messy. We're imperfect. But that is our role, living out the mission of Jesus. We are always helping people take those next steps towards Jesus. Not too long ago, I shared some statistics with you. In Fairfax County, there are 1.2 million people who call this place home. 600,000 people who live in, in this county do not attend any, any religious service or have any religious connection at all. 50%. That tells me there's a lot of people in our county that are far from God. It's even bigger than that, though. The truth is that about another 39% go to churches or are part of some sort of religious organization where Jesus isn't central. So only about 11% of the people who live in this community, who live in this county, are in some way connected to Jesus, who've said Jesus is central. That tells me we got a lot of work to do right here where we live. And that means that if Jesus is central to us as a church, we're going to live out that mission. That means we're going to do everything we can to make this a place that on Sunday mornings, you're not afraid to invite those people that are far from God to be a part of this. That we do events in the community, you're not afraid to invite people to that. When we feed kids, you're a part of that. Which means that we are going to do everything we can to plant more churches here in this county so we can continue to reach those that are so far from God. If we say Jesus is central then that means we live out the Jesus mission here in this place. And we give it all that we can. Because again, in the end, it's Jesus' job to grow and expand the church. But here at the journey, we will take on the mission of Jesus. Lastly, since Jesus is central and since we will follow the Jesus mission, the church will be our platform to impact the world. Expectations are high in churches. And that's honestly because of Christians. We're going to talk about Christians next week, so don't want to miss next week. It's going to be really good, all right? (laughs) Especially invite people who don't like Christians. We're going to have fun with that because we're going to make fun of ourselves. But um, 
But we put this church on a, on a pedestal. And when we put the church on the pedestal, we allow the church to define Jesus for us. Let the church define humanity for you, all right? Humanity who's in need of Jesus. Let Jesus define Jesus for you and for me. See, the church, though, is the platform for us to impact the world. The church is messy, but Jesus is not. In Luke 5, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And the church is that hospital. The church is that place that that we are at, that that we are allowed to, to live out the Jesus mission, to reach the world with his mission, to connect people to him. And the church, this place, it's the outpouring, it's the outcome of us saying Jesus is central to who we are. And we're going to do everything we can to live out that mission with a bunch of imperfect, messy people. And we'll allow Jesus to do what he needs to do to expand and grow what happens in a place like this. But I will make you this promise. Hope lives here. That if we think about it, no matter how messy and perfect that you and I are, hope lives here. You've experienced that maybe here in this place. I've experienced it. That hope lives here when Jesus is central and we're living out that mission. Look, there's, there's so many people far from God in our county. And if you start to have conversations with people... The one thing you'll find, so many are hopeless. They're looking for hope in other things, right? Money, jobs, titles, retirement, all these type of areas. And, and we understand that. I mean, that's kind of what we are and where we live. But we also understand there's more to life than that, that hope lives here. And it's the one thing that you and I can share with this community and this county and with the people around us. Is that in this place, that's out the outpouring of Jesus being central, of living out that mission, is the church. And here in this place, we can find hope. I don't know, maybe you've been burned by the church before, and if you have, I'm hoping that through today that you're, well, you're finding hope. And if you've been burned by the church, I hope that within your soul, your, your wounds are starting to be healed a little bit. That's why we're here, to help each other out, to move us toward making Jesus central, to move us toward living out that mission, here in this place, this, this group of, of beautiful, messy, and perfect people called the church. Maybe your next step today is to know that Jesus is central to your life. And maybe for you this morning, you've got to make that choice. And, and maybe for you, it's saying, hey, I need to be all in with this. We'd love for you to fill out that connection card and mark baptism on that. And you can put that in the offering baskets at the end of our service. We'd love to, to see you take that step, that next step in your life to give your life for Jesus. Maybe for others of you here, your next step is to live out the Jesus mission. You've given your life to Christ, but you've been kind of stuck on the church being the pedestal, being the most important thing. Maybe for you today, this is the moment where you're like, okay, I've got to change that. Now I need to live out the Jesus mission. I've got to make Jesus central, and I've got to begin to focus on that, making a difference in the lives of people. And then lastly, maybe your next step is just to be an integral part of this this messy, imperfect group called the Journey Church. 
And you need to say, I, I just need to jump in. I just need to be a part of this. I need to be in a life group. I, I need to serve in some capacity. I need to do these things. Maybe that's where you are. And if that's where you are today, we'd love to see you do that. Because here's the deal. When we put the church on a pedestal, we will be burned. Jesus should be first. We live out that mission in this place. If you're looking for hope, let me share this with you. In 2010, it was the first year that we actually had more churches being planted in the United States than closing down. And we're starting to see that happen over and over and over again. Sure, the church in, in Europe and the church here in the United States, we may see that attendance is decreasing. But can I tell you that the church is expanding and exploding in other places throughout the globe. The church is not dead. The church is alive. And it's well. And it's all because of Jesus. And you and I, we get to be a part of that. Don't feel burned by the church. Let the church be an outpouring of us living out the Jesus mission as we make Jesus central to who we are.